If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. My name is Khan. And welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave, and I'm one of the two hosts of this stupendous podcast. And I'm Rich, and I'm the other host of this stupendous podcast. Oh, good word, Dave. Mm. Uh, think of me as Superman to Dave's Lois Lane. People don't recognise me without my glasses on, and he is an intrepid reporter. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going to go with that one, so I'm very impressed. I didn't know either until I was saying it. <laughs> <laughs> the premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests for their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we've got often drift off course and just have some good chats about movies in general. We should also point out we do drop some spoilers for the movies we talk about. So if we mention a movie you haven't seen and you don't want to know about, just skip that a little bit, but make sure you listen to the rest of the episode. Okay. Yeah. On today's episode, we are joined by Jack Chambers from The Sequelizers. Oh, Jack is a brilliant podcaster, and this is kind of rounds off our triple-part Sequelizers specials. We love those guys. They're awesome. They're part of our little pod family of sequelness. Sequelness. Lovely. <laughs> We're very excited to sit down and chat with Jack. All things sequels with him. These are Jack Chambers' Unequal Sequels. Enjoy. What is the first sequel that you can remember getting excited about? Ooh, that would be, weirdly enough, something we've sequelized on the show would be Lion King 2. <laughs> is that Simba's I, Pride? It is Simba's Pride, yeah. I, I absolutely love The Lion King. It's like one of my favourite childhood movies. And that came out, I would have been, I'm born in 1990, so I'd have been four or five when that came out. And then the second one, it was like a birthday party and it had just come out. And we were like, oh my God, we're going to go to the cinema on my friend's birthday. It was like the day it came out, opening day, Lion King 2. Oh my God, what could be better than the sequel to the best cartoon I've ever seen in my life? And I'm an eight-year-old kid. I'm just loving life. And it, it was, it, I like it. It was, it was fine. Yeah, it was. It was. I still stand by Lion King 2 is... Not that bad. And I said that on our show as well, a show entirely about bad sequels. I said, it's not that bad. I didn't think this had a cinema release. I thought it was a straight-to-video VHS sequel. I don't think it was a cinema thing. I think it, we went to my friend's house and 
we watched it on like a big screen like birthday party uh, style yeah, that okay. kind of thing i don't think it was in an actual like proper theater but it, it felt like it when i was a kid or like there was like a, a row of us on the sofa and then a row of us in front of us on the floor you know yeah, that yeah. kind of thing we're all cross-legged like oh, the biggest screen you've ever seen in a home that kind of my, my rich like the rich kids birthday around the corner who had oh. the big massive screen and the lovely sofa and that kind of stuff <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen lion king 2 i haven't either I've seen one and a half. Oh yeah, yeah. One and a half. The, yeah, one and a half. There's Lion King one and a half. There's yeah. one and a half from 2004. I want to say like ten years later. Yeah. Okay. And obviously three is um, Timon and Pumbaa, the spin-off thing there. So it's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> so what happens in two? There, um, it is Simba's kid. Kind of obviously. looks like Scar, and he he's all like evil looking, basically. Right. Is that right? I think I've got that right. No, no, no! It's his daughter. Do- it's Simba. Simba Nala's daughter meets this kid who looks like Scar. That's what it is. Oh, okay. And Scar's love he's child. he he's yeah he's like outcast and basically kind of like well he looks like Scar so he must be evil. And the best song in that whole thing is about him. And the lyrics are like deception, disgrace, evil is clear as the scar on his face, and it's like. <laughs> The cheesiest, crappiest lyrics you've ever heard. But eight-year-old Jack was like, this is the best. This is a worthy sequel to what I consider one of the greatest films ever made as an eight-year-old. I'm like, yes. And I think, you know, eventually it all works out and... they It's like, it's basically Romeo and Juliet with lions in the same way that the first one is... Oh, what's the first one based on? Hamlet, thank you. Yeah, the first one's Hamlet. This is Romeo and Juliet. And then the third one, Timon and Pumbaa, of course. The, the, the famous Do the voices return? Because they're always different on the, the, the sequel. Uh, yeah, so Broderick is back as Wicked. adult Simba. He's not in it that much. Oh. And Jason Marsden plays Kovu, and he is of no no note whatsoever. I thought, oh, James Marsden. Nope, nope, different guy. That's definitely definitely not definitely not Cyclops. Who else have we got? Although Timon and Pumbaa are back, I believe. And you've got people like James Earl Jones shows up as a flashback of Mufasa. Wow. And Jeremy Irons doesn't come back as a flashback of Scar. It's actually Jim Cummings because Jim Cummings was the ADR guy for Jeremy Irons when he blew out his voice. Do you know that story? No. Oh, Jeremy Irons blew out his voice on Be Prepared. On that, on that big note, he blew out his voice and Jim Cummings finishes the rest of the song for him. Wow. Um, and he did some ADR stuff to kind of cover it because Jim Cummings is like legendary voice actor i'm a voice actor nerd by the way listeners of unequal sequel (laughs) (laughs) i I apologize in advance for my nerdery but um yeah jim cummings kind of did a bunch of cover for it basically and was like cool yeah a a gig's a gig in the same way that tom hanks's younger brother does all the like voices of woody yeah in, in all the video games and toys and stuff it's like we can't afford tom hanks and tom's like have my brother. He sounds basically like me. He needs a job. Get off the sofa, Dave Hanks, or whatever the hell your name is. <laughs> but yeah, Lion King 2. I, lo- I loved it as an eight-year-old, and I somewhat stand by it as a now 31-year-old. So <laughs> My brother, who when I said I was doing his podcast and he listened, he picked Lion King 2 as his worst ever sequel. Oh, wow. Me <laughs> so... and your brother need to have words, Dave. And he's got children, Jack. So he's Ooh. had to watch it with them, uh, probably more than once. I've avoided that. Thank Did you. he watch it when it came out and then rewatched it with his kids, or has he only seen it with his? Only kids? with the kids recently. Probably with Disney Plus. If I had to that's guess, pr- that's probably why. Then 
I think I like it because of the nostalgia of me being an eight-year-old. I'm, I've definitely mm. got the rose-tinted glasses of young Jack there. But I think if I went into it now in 2021, I'd be like, mm, no, thank you. I don't need this in my life. I got that. That's fair. I'll let him off. We don't need to have words. So what is your best ever sequel? Best ever sequel. I'm going with something what I think is part of one of the best modern trilogies in cinema. And I think is grossly underrated and underappreciated by many, many people. Oh, yes. It is the second part in the trilogy is 2014's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, directed by Matt Reeves. And I think this film is basically a masterpiece. I think this whole trilogy is brilliant. And I think it, it in a kind of, it's the Empire Strikes Back. It's the Two Towers. It's the it's the Wrath of Khan, to go back to my uh, fellow sequelizer, Matt's kind of thing. It's such an amazing expansion on what the kind of foundation they put down with Rise and I like Rise. It's decent enough. Like I've got no big problems with it, but it didn't really blow my socks off. James Franco's fine. Draco Malfoy's fine. Like you know, <laughs> Caesar has that no moment, and you're like, oh yeah, this is cool. But then it kind of stops. You're like, okay, this is kind of now we get to the cool Planet of the Ape stuff, and the way they build these characters, you cry over animated apes yeah, in this movie. It's amazing. It's brilliant. Toby Kebbell's performance, because everybody, everybody knows Andy Serkis, the master, one of the absolute pioneers in motion capture, and, you know, I think deserves multiple Oscars for his various performances. Probably should have got Amen. one for Gollum. Yeah. Probably should have got one for Caesar. Holla. <laughs> Andy Serkis, underappreciated. Now, a, a director in his own right as well, which is weird. But yeah, I think Toby Kebbell as the kind of villainous Cobra, that, yeah. because he's such an interesting villain because you can also see his point of view. And I think that's so key to so many great villains throughout fiction, whether that's films yeah. or books or comics or video games or whatever you're talking about. If there is a villain, you can believe it and go, you know what? Actually, they have a point. They're going mm. about it the wrong way. And the end game is genocide or murder or whatever it is like that kind of thing but the actual message and their beliefs and stuff you can actually kind of get behind it i'm like i care about the interpersonal battles of these animated apes and you completely forget that they're animated as well there's an amazing moment there's this close-up on uh the orangutan's face yes and it's the skin texture and the hair and stuff i'm like is that did they use a real and they were like no real <laughs> No real apes right. were used in this film at all. It is a hundred percent motion capture. I watched every it today, and it, exactly that scene. I was like, <laughs> I watched it in like in like four K, and I was like, oh. watched it, and I was like, that is amazing. That's like I can't believe that's animated. It's in, incredible, and but it's yeah, seven I know years exactly old. Exactly the shot that you mean. I know. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Seven years ago, they were making that. It's it's and and there's absolutely no forgiveness for Wonder Woman eighty four if they could make that oh. seven years ago. Don't 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 get me started on DC extended universe stuff. We will we will be here all all night. <laughs> the less I say about Zach yeah, Snyder even the the opening shot when you first see that that bit just his eyes. Oh yeah, which is the famous poster as well. It was literally just his eyes with the wall paint like yeah. down the front of his face. Mm. I was like, just sees his eyes because that. The, the the shot from the first one, the no moment that zooms in on his face and you're like, oh my God, he's so expressive and so dynamic and Circus's performance is so good. Yeah, Caesar becomes this like 
one of my all-time favorite protagonists in cinema because he goes through such a journey of you know his tortured origin story you know lab ape and all this kind of stuff building a family building a community actually wanting at the end of the day what's best for the planet because mm. humans are bad for the planet ladies and gentlemen i hate to be, <laughs> hate to be the one to break it to you but we've done some terrible things to these planets and maybe maybe we need to back off on a lot of that stuff and yeah the the apes are like just hanging out in trees and just like chilling i'm like good idea that's probably better for the planet it is another one of those those movies a bit like starship troopers where you kind of get to the end and go hang on a minute are we the baddies? <laughs> it's the, the Mitchell and Webb sketch. Yeah. Yeah. We've got skulls on our caps. Are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about Starship Troopers not too long ago on um, sequelizers because we fixed the second one because it's a big pile of poop. Oh, it is. And yeah, the fact that so many people misunderstand the first Starship Troopers movie and are just like, oh, it's just slocky sci-fi. It's like, what? Neil Patrick Harris is a space Nazi. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's so clearly satire. Yeah. It's like Orwellian levels of like political commentary and satire and stuff. Like this is 1984 in space with bugs. Like why don't you understand this? <laughs> and people were like, no, no, no. And the people did the same thing for the Apes trilogy. It's like ah, it's just a bunch of monkeys with guns on horses and stuff. I'm like yeah, that sounds amazing. Also, it's really cool, and all the politics is great, and into the personal stuff is brilliant as well. Like. Absolutely. There's so much good stuff here. And the really good thing I like about it is that the humans are kind of like interchangeable, essentially, is that mm. in no sense do you miss James Franco from the first one no. or or need him in this movie. <laughs> I, I know there's I a don't tiny think I've little... ever missed James Franco ever, to be fair. No, <laughs> no that's, that's probably true. But yeah, there's a tiny, just a tiny little snippet of him, isn't there, in, in this movie. But actually, you don't need the people. The people aren't the continuity. You know, there's none of that... Run, needs to run through the trilogy it's the it's the apes and that's a different kind of you know that's that's a different way of looking at it isn't it it's a different kind of i like yeah. how they do that like each yeah me too chap it's like different chapters and it yeah definitely. You know, different stories and this is also one of those films that is better than the original rich that we yes should probably we should, have, our... should have put that in our list damn it yeah <laughs> you guys missed you guys missed out man yeah yeah we did, the top, we did. Top, top 10 best sequels better than the original how dare you forget well i've only seen it i only seen it once until today and i kind of forgot how good it was and it is yeah. great so thanks for making me watch it again have you both seen war of the planet the apes the the, the finale of the trilogy yes, yes and i can't remember yeah. anything about it <laughs> it is a bit more forgettable than Dawn, but I think it's still good in its own right. I, I'm, I think, unfortunately, Woody Harrelson has fairly big shoes to fill following Gary Oldman's performance in this second movie. Yes, yeah, and so. Woody Harrelson does the kind of like I'm a bit mad. Oh, I'm Woody Harrelson doing a bad guy kind of thing, which I'm very worried he's going to do as Cletus Cassidy in Carnage, yep. mm. because that's what Woody Harrelson does when he plays a bad guy. He goes full wacky, meant like. He goes Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. He he does. He He might. That might work for Carnage though, because Carnage is kind of over the top crazy. Mm. I have no hope for that. (laughs) I did. I hated the first one, so you know. Oh really? Um, Oh yeah. I really loved it. I think it's it's one of those Marmite films, isn't it? That people. I don't like Tom Hardy very much, and him him doing silly voices all the time drives me nuts. Whereas like. Um, something I, I might touch on later on depending on what the questions are that you ask me his Bane voice has just driven me insane over the years the amount of times it was just parroted by literally everyone and yeah. every performance he does is like oh what silly voice is he going to do today like cool okay 
I think that's why he's so good in Mad Max Fury Road as well, because he says like six words. I'm like, he just grunts. Leave it, leave it there, Tom. It's fine. Yeah. It's I mean, if you've not seen him in Peaky Blinders, don't watch it because you'll you'll really hate it. (laughs) (laughs) He's full on silly voice mode in that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think like Gary Oldman is an interesting, he plays an interesting character, um, Dreyfus, the like military commander guy. And again, you can kind of see his, I mean, he's he's a lot nastier than than Cobra is. Like Mm. he's pretty definitively a bad person but again you can kind of see his yeah. more kind of militaristic i look after my own people you know humans are my, i'm on team human basically which i think if this thing actually happened i think is how a lot of people would go with yeah. the way you know politics has been going in the uk and the us and brazil and germany and parts of europe and all that kind of stuff we're getting this more kind of like isolationist you know us leaving the eu we're we're saying like no we're looking after us we're looking after the british and all this kind of stuff and it's, he plays into that mentality of those people and you know mm. this is pre-brexit this is pre-trump like all that kind of stuff but he is this like fanatical you know look after our community and screw over and else kind of mentality that what has worked for hundreds of years and will continue to work for hundreds of years and convincing people to join your cause and fight things you probably shouldn't be fighting in and all that kind of stuff he does a brilliant job and and gary oldman is is an all-time great like he is unbelievably good in so many different roles and he's so diverse and weird and unbelievable performances from him and i think the fact that you mentioned like that the humans kind of almost like disappear into the background jason clark is like yeah he's fine like he's he's just a believable bloke I guess. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very subtle, mostly, yeah, the, the human characters. Mm. They let the, uh, the, yeah. the, the the monkeys do the talking. They're apes, Dave, not monkeys. Oh, come <laughs> on, yeah, Rich. That, that, that is offensive. That's that prejudice, offensive. man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you, when you first went and saw this, um, were you expecting it to be any good or were you worried about it? I like some of the older apes movies, so I was like, okay, cool. I, 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 like I said, I liked Rise, so I was like, yeah, cool, okay, I'm, I'm up for this. And I think I love it so much because it exceeded my, like, okay expectations, if that makes sense. I didn't go in with, like, oh, my God, it's going to be amazing, or, oh, God, another Apes movie, whatever. I was somewhere in the middle of, like, I enjoyed the first one. Let's give it a go. And it blew those expectations out of the water. And I was like, okay, this is something special. Now, they are, they, you know, Matt Reeves in particular, like, is crafting something spectacular in Circus in his development as a performer as caesar as he becomes for want of a better phrase kind of derogatorily more human as the series goes on and he stands more upright and projects his voice and his enunciation gets clearer and all these beautiful little touches that circus adds it's just like Mm. oh so so good good. so good i really liked rise i felt i was like on my own almost a little bit when rise (laughs) of the planet of the apes came out because i think lots of people didn't like it because I think it's a bit slow, isn't it? It takes a little while to kind of get going, yeah. and it's a bit kind of you have to think about it a bit more. And I think it put a lot of people off. But I, I remember going, I'm thinking, am I the only person who loves this movie? <laughs> like, is it just me on my own? But I'm so glad that other people love the trilogy because I think it's it's so underrated. When you say there's a new Planet of the Apes movie coming out, you probably thought new Planet of the Apes movie coming out, so you actually see the the Planet of the Apes, mm. and in Rise, you, you get none of that. And then in this one, you get a, a bit more, but it's... I don't know. I think this film gets better more times you watch it, to be honest. I enjoyed it a lot more watching it today than I did 
when I originally watched it. That's just it looks amazing, like the set designs and the score. Have, have you seen any it. of the behind the scenes stuff of the how they did the motion capture? So it was like one of the first times they've ever done full scale motion capture out for one of a phrase in the wild, like out really in forests and stuff. They are oh, okay. really those guys running around in those suits. And they're just amazing lighting rigs and stuff that are just perfectly recapturing all of that kind of stuff. And it was, I think it was pretty revolutionary to to do that as Gollum, you know, in the 13, nearly 15 years before this in the late 90s and early 2000s. And he was there usually on a set. And there were a couple of bits where he's, you know, roaming around a bit further outside and all that kind of stuff. But usually Gollum stuff was fairly isolated. It would be with him and Sam. But you have you know, a dozen apes running around, climbing on a horse, there's an explosion over there, there's gunfire over here, there's humans running in front of the camera, all this kind of stuff that makes that shot so much so much more complicated. And, and as a person who knows very little about visual effects apart from what I've read and watched, basically, it's like that blows my mind that it is just yeah. so convincing and so believable. The shot where they're on top of the tank and it's slowly oh, rotating yeah. and all the explosions are going on and the fighting on the monkey apes. Yeah. That fight between Cobra and Caesar on the so tower, good. it's incredible. So good. As me saying the other day, Dave, that I've, I don't think I like action anymore. You know, I'm growing out of <laughs> yeah. action. And I watched that then, I was like, nope, nope, back in it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the collapsing tower bit is, there's all, again, it's all the fire and stuff. And often, like, literal smoke and fire and stuff is used in these big kind of, speaking of Wonder Woman, big cgi smodge fests of just like oh it's a big cgi blob punching another big cgi blob and there's loads of smoke and fire so you don't notice that it's a bit janky and all this kind of stuff and they're like oh no no we've got close-ups of these apes as they're fighting and you're seeing like you believe you 100 believe i forgot i totally forgot i was not watching you know cgi i was i was so involved how do they train these apes this is incredible it is incredible (laughs) it just shows how good cinema is i loved it yeah, maybe I just love Planet of the Apes because I love the original movies, and I love. I, I even like the Tim Burton one that everyone. Oh no, hold on, Rich. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, hold I on. don't associate with that, Jack. Just that that is not yeah. unequal sequel. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna hang up right now. Neither sequelizers nor unequal sequel endorse the message. <laughs> no way, Rich. Just toilet. <laughs> Like I said, I'm the only person in the world that likes it, apart from Tim Burton. Yeah, Tim Burton doesn't <laughs> like it either, it. and ne- neither does Mark Wahlberg. So you're on your own there, mate. It has good costumes. Oh, that's 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 that's... Oh. The costumes are really good, apart from Head in the Bottom Carters, which is oh. rubbish. Yeah, all the others are good. But I, I, I thought it was all right. No, it's all not right. all right, mate. It's not at all. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> I don't understand how you can watch that film and be like, yeah, it's fine. Especially, as you said, I'm a fan of the old Planet of the Apes yeah. movies. Yeah, like, true. Yeah. I don't understand how of... you can like the like 70s stuff and all that kind of stuff. And then... I think as I watched the 2001 one first in the cinema and then went back oh, and watched the 70s okay. ones after. That explains everything. You're a Roman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't say I knew what I was talking about. Dave. You, never got, you didn't get me on this podcast because I know That's it's true. true. <laughs> <laughs> so when you oh, we shouldn't go down this side, but Rich, when you were first watched the Planet of the Apes, the original one, you did you already know the twist? Had the Simpsons already ruined it for you? Uh, yeah, I knew the twist. And that, that's, that's the joke on our show as well. Yeah, the yeah, Simpsons I knew that has bit. ruined yeah. every possible the Simpsons <laughs> yeah. has ruined every possible pop culture reference for me for the last like thirty years. I even had it on DVD, the original Burton one. I even went out and bought it because I liked oh. it. 
Jesus, Rich. <laughs> I know. I know. Hey, you're, you're lucky. You were lucky. Right? You were lucky. You were on our live stream before this because I wouldn't let you on now. Jesus <laughs> Christ! This, this bridge is burnt. I don't like it. <laughs> Can we go back to talking about a good film? Yes, please. I don't get to do that often on our show, so it's yeah. a nice treat. What's your favourite scene? What's the one that makes Ooh. you really love Dawn of the Oaks? I think that fight between Cobra and Caesar. I think because it's the two of them in that tower and it feels so personal and that Cobra feels betrayed by Caesar and Caesar feels betrayed by Cobra mm. and it's just this, mm. not mano a mano, apoe, apo, I don't know what ape is in Spanish, one-on-one <laughs> battle, just this. And you, you have all the, like you said, you have all the like explosions and big action stuff and there's the... Uh, riding horses and shooting guns and all and tanks and stuff like that's great but that personal moment it's it, it's it's luke versus vader mm. it's that final like one invested, on one. the you? big battles are happening all around them yeah and you're emotionally invested in that moment and it's just just brilliant so so good yeah would you have liked to seen a sequel follow the men the the, the humans the, like jason the clark character I was thinking this today no. while watching it. You had no interest to see no. what happened to them. Jason Jason Clark is is background in this, but he's fine. I think the, the best thing I can say about him, I'm I'm stealing the line. Um, I can't remember what I was listening to. I listened to a podcast earlier today about it, and they were saying like, "Oh, it's a YouTube video." It was Chris Stuckman's review of it on YouTube, and he said like, "The best thing I can say about Jason Clark is that he just feels natural in this." Oh film. yeah, like he just feels like yeah, he's just a bloke. I was like, yeah, cool, okay, yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't confused. get in the way of the end of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't get in the way of any of the stuff. He doesn't try and steal the scene from Caesar. It is Caesar's film, and you could really, really run into trouble of it quickly going off and being like it's the human film oh mm. by the way there's some apes in the background and blah, blah 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 blah. but the fact that he's able to focus on that i think is what makes it special and makes it feel different because the other ape films do kind of focus on the humans and charlton heston is kind of there mm. and being the main character <laughs> and stuff and the fact that this is from the other kind of from the other perspective is yeah i think what makes it so special and the fact that all the main characters essentially are motion captured is madness and just speaks to the magic of it i think i agree with you and and it's matt reeves and makes me so excited for batman now this episode is brought to you by twizzlers long day late night feeling a little bored twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day no matter what kind of day you're having the perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax unwind with twizzlers to buy now visit hersheyland.com slash twizzlers what is the most disappointing sequel you've ever experienced what's the experience just makes you go oh i I really really tossed up between this because there's two things that really stick out in my mind and one i hinted at earlier is the dark knight rises because i hate that movie I think there are so many things wrong with that film after how amazing Batman Begins and how incredible The Dark Knight is. That is just some mediocre bullshit. And I'm like, okay, we're ending... Okay, he's going to a restaurant and there's Michael Caine and Tom Hardy's just weird. All the... Like, the ADR in that film, the way Bane's voice sounds just throws me off. You can hear it's Tom Hardy in a vocal booth like clear as crystal even the, because i don't know if you remember when the original trailer came out like the first like 10 minutes or whatever it was it was that mm. opening plane scene with aiden gillen and tom hardy and the whole the fire rises brother and all that kind of stuff and the fact that christopher nolan actually blew up those planes is 
amazing. Christopher Nolan, that is so Christopher Nolan. But nobody can understand a word Bane was saying. <laughs> like, yep, brilliant. That's the villain. You've got two and a half hours of this, so have fun. I'm like, no, you need to change that. Like, okay, right. Get Tom to go and stand in a vocal booth for like an hour and just re-record all of the lines. So it's him with a mask on and a hood over his head. And he's like, well, that would be extremely painful for you like why are you crystal clear now that doesn't this is when he should be muffled this doesn't make any sense and it's it's tiny little things like that that just keep adding up and adding up and adding up and i saw it midnight release that's how excited i was and i just i was like four o'clock in the morning i was exhausted oh my god and i was like I'm done. I, I don't think I ever want to see another Batman film again. I was like, God, I'm just drained. I just don't. I just don't care about anything anymore. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> so disappointing. And yeah, I've I, I've ranted about that film plenty of times on our show. We fixed it and we did a commentary for it where I go off on multiple rants. So I won't do another one here. But yeah, I hate the Dark Knight Rises. Come at me, listeners. <laughs> I thought in screen in, in the screen test, everyone complained they couldn't hear what Tom Hardy was saying and they couldn't see. What what anyone was doing so hence why it was a lot lighter than looking than all the other pens and and yeah hence the re-recording of the yep of the, that, uh, that is of exactly the right yeah and it is it is disappointing people really like it though i have had quite a few arguments with people about how much i dislike because i think most people don't dislike it as much as i do mm. in in, no. in their defense most people like as you just said dave it's not as good as the dark knight which is an Oscar-winning, all-time great superhero movie. And I think Batman Begins is just below that. I think Batman Begins is underrated in the shadow of The Dark Knight. I think they're both incredible. And then Dark Knight Rises is, like, fine for most people. It's like, yeah, it was good. You know, Christian Bale's still Christian Bale, and it's, it's, there's Bane, and Tom Hardy's good and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And there's also the Talia Al Ghul stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> nope. And a bunch of other stuff that just that's not how nuclear bombs work i have a i have a physics degree that is not how nuclear bombs or how uh, i am the one physicist in the world that can fix this bomb no you're not that's not how engineering works that's not how physicists work if you had just invented this thing you would be winning nobel prizes and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff like no no uh, and, and you are the only person who could do this yep that's me dead like cool problem solved like nope there's probably like dozens of people that could come in and probably work that out go and get them right now what are you doing bane's plan makes no goddamn sense drives me mental can you tell i'm fired up i I just love i love the thought of you coming out at four o'clock in the morning so disappointed did you drag friends to go and see it as well (laughs) so interestingly enough this was my first long-term relationship like all the way through university and stuff i moved across the country i'm in norwich at the moment uh, where i'm from originally i moved down to exeter in devon so wow uk listeners you probably know where that is international listeners that's like 250 miles southwest of where i am which is in in English oh. in, in English terms, that's really far. <laughs> I know that's next door neighbours for you Americans and Canadians out there, but for yeah, us, that's really far. It. It's a eight hour journey basically. So yeah, I had moved down there and all this kind of stuff, and that would have been my first. Yeah, I was there for about a year or so before my life came crashing down. I lost my job and my girlfriend within like two days of each other. It was a the the, the darkest timeline, <laughs> should we say? I'm I'm fine now, thankfully. Oh good. Um, yeah, it was just ten years ago, but um, yeah, and. I think that was the same week I saw Dark Knight Rises. Oh, not a good week. Oh, no. 
<laughs> so, oh, like, no. yeah, this perfect amalgamation of all the terrible things that could happen to me, like fresh out of university, all this kind of stuff. Like, oh, I'm looking forward to life out in the big wide world. What could possibly go wrong? Like, oh, yeah, oh, Batman's things. terrible <laughs> and my life is crumbling around me. You're just holding on to Batman. At least Batman's going to be good. I, th- I think I did. Genuinely, I think I did. It was one of those like, oh, it's, I mean, I, my job's crap and I can tell something's up with, you know, my relationship at the time. Like, oh, thank God I've got that. You know, I've still got those tickets booked for the midnight release. Thank God I've got something to look forward to. And I was, I shouldn't I was be laughing. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, crap. You have to laugh I, I or, you, really or you'll cry. Us. Yeah. I really sympathise. I was in a very similar position when I watched the the, the last episode of Lost. Oh, like, interesting! I watched, I watched it at like three o'clock in the morning, like the the edit release, and oh my god, the, just the waves of disappointment when I think about it now, they just wash over me. When uh, uh, was... good old good old Christian Shepherd helps them out of limbo. I haven't seen it yet. Have you not? Have you never seen the last episode of Lost, Dave? Don't. That is shit. a fifteen-year-old <laughs> spoiler, Dave. I mean, come on. We're allowed to spoil things that are more than ten years old, Dave. Come on, we have that is the rule. <laughs> don't worry, I won't spoil it for I you. I don't know why other I'm still hanging on to utter it. Utter bollocks. I'm convinced one day I'm going to watch them. Me and my missus bought the first two series at one point to watch them. Watch the first two series and don't watch any more. The last episode was May May 2010. There's six seasons, and it's just over ten years old, so I'm safe. Thank God for that. Okay. <laughs> it started in 2005, 2006, but yeah. May 23rd, 2010 was the last episode. Oh, I like Lost a lot, and I binge-watched it at university. Yeah, I loved and, it. Big at university. And, and absolutely loved it. And then it just goes off the rails and gets silly and does a bunch of nonsense because Lindelof and the team didn't know what they were doing. And, the, and Abrams, as Abrams does, that is like, familiar. here's a cool setup. Now it's your problem. Like, <laughs> what do you mean it's our problem? Well, there's a there's a hatch. What are you going to do with that? Oh, by the way, smoke monsters, uh, polar bears. Polar bears, yeah. What? Yeah. What the, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? Like, what? As long as you don't write it week to week and just make it up as you go along, you'll be fine. Uh, oh, that's I'm what like, we did. I, I mean, we did that for the next four years, but fine. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> at the end, like, did anyone notice? Yes, they did. Yeah, everyone oh, did. Oh, God. Sure Where those, again, they're, there are characters that die and then come back and then were like main characters for an episode and then they had a big falling out, so they die again and you're like... <laughs> Wait, what? What the hell is going on here? Kids that just disappear into the night and it's like, nope, never spoken of again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. My friend has this running joke that cause, because after I'd watched that episode, that final episode of Lost, I just posted on Facebook, fuck you, JJ Abrahams. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and every year, my friend my friend posts it at me when it, when it comes up in the Facebook memories. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, it's that time of year again. <laughs> the biggest disappointment of my whole and life. That, and now we get to do it all over again because of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now we got you up. Let's ask the, uh, the next question, which is always the my most enjoyable one. Uh, what is the worst sequel that you've ever watched? Speaking of JJ, <laughs> excellent segue, Dave. Excellent, Immac- Immac- from one podcaster to another. Ah, chef's kiss. I have my moment. moment. <laughs> I, I pride myself on my utterly terrible segues on our show, so that was that was perfection. I'm going back one year to 2013 to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness because, again, I hate this movie. <laughs> 
I, it could, it could have. It's the same thing as Dark Knight Rises, but worse because I think the 2009 Star Trek film by J.J. Abrams sets up so much cool stuff. And I'm like, cool, Great. this is a modern Star Trek, essentially what Discovery is doing now because I'm enjoying Discovery. It's a bit mm. up and down, but you know what I mean. I grew up as a Trekkie because my dad is a huge Trekkie, so I grew up watching Next Generation. Deep Space Nine is my favorite. Voyager. I even watched Enterprise. Yeah, I'm one of those people. My dad is an Enterprise defender. I, I can't yeah. agree with that, but I've, I've seen it all, basically. And I was like, oh, my God. Me and my dad are going to go and see a Star Trek film at the cinema together. We haven't done that since, what, Insurrection or Nemesis, or whatever the terrible ones. I think it was Nemesis before this. I was like, okay. We loved it. I was like, okay. It's not the old Star Trek that we knew, but it's something a bit different, something a bit modern. Hmm. It was like my love of Star Wars and my dad's love of Star Trek kind of combining into this modern sci-fi franchise and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, it's perfect. Cool. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm down for this. Oh, they're going to do a trilogy. They're going to do a sequel cool okay i wonder what they're going to adapt i wonder what like are they going to do more original stuff are they going to do like a particular spin-off of a you know the classic thing of like take one of the tv episodes and spin it off and make the character bigger and all this kind of stuff that you can do mm. with these remakes and reboots that we've seen over the last few decades john harrison who the fuck is john harrison <laughs> he's, he's obviously khan isn't he because you only get Benedict Cumberbatch to be John Harrison. And remember all the fan theories of like, uh, I think you'll find in the original series, uh, episode 64, there's a deleted scene and there's a character called John Harrison in that. And he was the brother of some other guy and he's going to be the big bad in this. And like, no, he's not. It's Khan. Are you mental? <laughs> and everybody who is even vaguely familiar with Star Trek knew it was going to be Khan. Yeah. Absolutely everybody. And... To, to counteract my favourite scene in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the moment where he does the whole can reveal is just the worst. Because yeah. he's just doing it for the audience. Yeah, there's no point to it. The people in front of him, the characters in, in that world, he could be going, I am a floobily bloobily. Yeah. <laughs> and like, cool. I don't know what that is. Why are you... Why are you saying that with such like importance and gravitas? They that doesn't mean anything. Like, He's his loser. <laughs> they absolutely. They, if they you. had subverted it and undermined it and just been like, right, okay, yeah. cool. You're you're still locked up, like tough. <laughs> and then Spock goes, he, he was our greatest adversary. Like, I mean, also was he? I mean, he was. Like, he's a great villain, but like other people, like destroyed the enterprise and like killed a bunch of people and committed genocide there are there are nastier more successful villains in the star trek like pantheon mm. than khan he's like he's arguably the best villain because he's the most complete and his performance is so good and wrath of khan is such a fantastic film as my mm. co-sequelizer matt mentioned on his episode and how much he's a trekkie nerd and all that kind of stuff but they get it so wrong and in into darkness they yeah. just, I feel like at every possible turn, it's like, okay, cool, yeah, we're doing this, and this is an interesting twist on Khan. Like, wait, why is Robocop here? What the fuck is this? <laughs> what? I love that too. <laughs> You're like, okay, Robocop's cool. the commandery dude? <laughs> wait, he's exploding Robocop's head with his bare... What is going on? 
And why are we like overly sexualizing his daughter? It's so weird. Oh, like, that was weird. Yeah. I felt I felt so sorry for Alice Eve, who was like really excited to be part of the franchise and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, "Cool, stand over there and get changed." And like, for <laughs> yeah, God, this is supposed to be modern Star Trek. <laughs> We're supposed to be like getting away from the whole Kirk as a big sexist nightmare in the '60s kind of thing. Like, this is supposed to be progressive, and the whole point of Star Trek is it's supposed to be progressive and interesting and intellectual engaging and political and all this kind of stuff and they were just like nope it's it's badly done calm and and shiny lights and boobs and stuff and you're like oh, you just turned it into generic sci-fi action just like batman and robin we're we're all allowed to hate this movie because jj abrams has said it's a bad movie he Did didn't he? make the movie he wanted to make he essentially let loads of his friends write different scenes and then tried to paste them all together. Is it basically what he said in his interview? Is Yeah, he, it's basically a collection of scenes he thought were good and thought he could make a narrative story out of that, which he clearly couldn't. <laughs> to go back to Lindelof, uh, Damon Lindelof, who also wrote this movie, uh, also responsible for a lot of Lost as well. There is a, I've got a little quote from him here. Khan was considered a character they needed to use at some point, given that he was such an intense gravity in the Trek universe, we would likely have expended more energy not putting him in the movie than the other way around. No, no that's not how that works. Just because it's Star Trek 2 doesn't mean you have to do Star Trek 2, yeah. you fucking no. hack. That is not how originality and writing works. And like, and apparently, so J.J. Abrams was like, I, I don't do sequels, guys, come on. Because J.J. Abrams famously does not do sequels. He never wants to... He does the thing, like I said, about Lost, where he sets up the thing and is like, yeah. here's the idea, here's the mystery box, somebody else sort it out, not my problem now. He did it with Force Awakens, he did it with Lost, he started, he's barely finished a project in his entire career. It's fascinating to see how he successfully is without ever actually finishing a story he's created. <laughs> and then they were like, cool, okay, are we going to do Khan then? Are you going to direct? And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. Okay, cool. And eventually, apparently they had a working script and then they worked Khan into it later on it was originally going to be Peter Weller character, the Commander Marcus as the main character, and then kind of a bit more of a inter-Starfleet kind of battle between commanders and all this kind of stuff. I was like, okay, cool. And then Benicio Del Toro was rumoured to have been cast and stuff. I was like, okay, okay. I can see him as a Khan. Mm. I can see where they're going with the Star Trek 2. They're getting a, you know, a Hispanic actor in. Like, this all makes sense. It's all adding up now. Nope. Okay, right. Then nobody shall who so like if you're gonna get somebody who would like epitomize Ricardo Montalban's original performance, who by the way is is Mexican, Ricardo Montalban, who played the original Khan. And Khan is well, he's genetically enhanced, but he's originally Indian-ish in a kind of he's a super mm, genetic, like yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. Basically, he's not Benedict fucking Cumberbatch. He's not the whitest man on the planet, which is what Benedict Cumberbatch is. By his name and face alone, Benedict Cumberbatch should not be playing Khan. And so much of the other cast is so good. Mm. I think Chris Pine is fantastic. I particularly think um, Zoe Saldana and Zachary Quinto are brilliant. I, I'm a huge fan of Carl Urban. Uh, you know, what Simon Pegg, he's great in it as well. It's like so many good little things. The late, great Anton Yelchin, like... 
oh yeah. man I'm, I'm so so glad we lost anton when he was so young as well like that really broke my heart when he passed away a few years ago i was like mm. oh he was gonna do another star stop and he said star wars c abrams damn you <laughs> he was gonna do another star trek thing and all this kind of stuff like such good casting i can really after they set that up with their original film they can really go somewhere with this cast and they did the whole like to boldly go where no one can go before the enterprise is off on its mission like and it barely nope. went anywhere. Yeah. And and Khan's motivation in that film is like, I want my people back. And they're like, cool, we're going to kill all your people. Like, wait, what? Are, are we the baddies now? Like, what, what is going on? Like, he, he's like, if you just give me my people, I'll bugger off. You're like, why aren't you doing that then? He's not <laughs> yeah. done it. He's helped you. He's not done it. He's literally not a threat apart from Spock going, here's our greatest adversary. Like, go away, Spock Prime. Bugger off. <laughs> we don't need you. He seems fine for now. Everything's fine. If you hadn't have interfered, everything probably would have been fine. I like how... I think Matt brought it up that at one point he makes Star Trek redundant because, isn't it, Khan beams himself up <laughs> across the galaxy to another planet. So why have spaceships? Khan has a per- personal transporter. So why do you have yeah. starships? Like, okay, <laughs> so you've ruined Star Trek. And then, and then Bones at the end is like, well, I... Uh, managed to cure death with his radioactive super blood and you're like so you've cured death and you don't need starships which is the entire thing about star trek is like concepts of human mortality in the greater universe and understanding humanity's place amongst these you know incredible variety of space creatures and different species and all this kind of stuff oh we just teleport everywhere it's fine like what what that's that's universe breaking. That's mental. That completely ruined Star Trek Into the Darkness to me. Once I was watching yeah. it today, I was like, yeah. "Well, Matt's ruined this film for me." <laughs> Matt does that a lot. And He's I good used at to that. quite enjoy it, but then I thought, when they like the Star Trek big bad ship, they just designed a bigger, badder Enterprise. Enterprise. All the yeah. things yep. they could have designed, they're like, "Oh, yep. let's just do that. A bigger and blacker. Perfect. We're done." All they really needed to do in this movie was just have. The start of the war with the Klingons, essentially. They were right there, Rich. They were there. They were right they there. Were there. They, they had it right there. <laughs> like, it's it could, so obvious. It just had to be Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but with Klingons, essentially. Klingons on horses <laughs> with machine guns. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. Done. I would have been okay with Khan, but a bit of the long game. Like, put him in slightly as a figure. Like, he's not a good guy. I don't know. So, the the and, and this is our speciality at Sequel Enders, as you know. I have thought about this. And if you're going to cast Benedict Cumberbatch... As John Harrison, just have him be John Harrison for this movie. Yeah. Mm. He's John Harrison the whole time. Not a word is said about Khan Noonan Singh. There's no Spock Prime stuff. There's no, none of this, oh, that guy looks like that guy because he fucking doesn't, first of all. He's not actually going to recognize him from timeline to timeline. It's like, right, okay. And just have like, oh my God, they got Benedict Cumberbatch. He's a new member of the crew on the Enterprise. This is amazing. And then you reveal him as Khan and he betrays the ship in the third yeah. one. That is how you do Khan in an interesting way that isn't just redoing Wrath of Khan. And I hate certain like the problem we run into with so many sequels and so many reboots is that they retread the first one. I know you guys have talked about this on the show as well, mm. with everybody's worst sequels. Like you take the first one and just like do it a bit worse and you're just really mm. lazy about it. Or you undo some of the stuff from the first one and just ignore some of the continuity that's and the canon the and stuff. That's where the they cu- make the first the, one worse. That's the cardinal <laughs> sin of a bad sequel. Yeah. yeah, that is the worst. They damage the first one. And they do that in this one where it's like, okay, cool, we've set up this lovely universe and, you know, we've got, got Khan stuff. Like, okay, you've revealed Khan, so we know where this is going. Oh, no, 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 no. 
he kills Kirk this time. You know. Oh, I forgot about that. Bri- bit. I'm you, off. You've done it again, you geniuses. <laughs> what brilliant marketing and brilliant are. Orsi, Kurtzman, fucking Lindelof. The Quinto oh. shout out is just the worst thing in this movie. Come <sighs> Like one of the most iconic things in all of... People who've never seen a Star Trek episode or film yep. know Shatner's Khan kind of thing. And as, as hammy and ridiculous as William Shatner is... That's an iconic moment in cinematic cinematic history, let alone Star Trek history. The hand thing. They do the (laughs) hand thing. Like, we know. You don't need to do it again. You're just, oh, it's so (laughs) lazy and rubbish. The whole whole reason that Wrath of Khan works so well in Star Trek 2 and what they completely miss out on this is that as soon as everyone sees Khan, they know who he is and they are scared shitless. Because they, he's from because an episode they, of Star yeah, Trek beforehand. Because they've seen him before, and he's like, he, I, I, I'm, I'm about to annoy some Star Trek fans here. He's like, the World War Three has happened or something, and he's like a super soldier, blah 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 blah. He's from Earth, from like the '90s, basically, when World War Three happens in the Star Trek original Star Trek timeline. <laughs> don't, don't ask. And. So he's this infamous, incredible, like legendary yeah. figure to be feared, and they're like. And you can't miss him. He's got like the ch- like his exposed chest and this giant flowing locks of white, terrifying hair and all this kind of stuff. He's a powerful intimidator. He's not Benedict Bloody Cumberbatch. <laughs> and there's no setup. You could have done that, and you could have you could have even done like I I I fucking hate the cold open of this film. By the way, where they just destroy that entire civilization because fuck it, why not? Yeah. Oh, it drives me nuts. Have a cold open with Khan in on Earth, like thirty years, one hundred and thirty years prior, or whatever it is, mm. and do it that way, and set him up, and he goes under the pseudonym of John Harrison. You don't even need to do the John Harrison reveal. That get rid of that entirely. That that's a, a moot point. Have him be Khan from the start, but have, set him up. Have the cold yeah. open be him being terrifying and being a badass in the opening moments. You don't even see the Enterprise until you know they do the. Into darkness, fade in, and then there's the shot of the Enterprise, yeah. and oh, it's Star Trek again, kind of thing. Have a dark, terrifying opening to set up your villain. That's such a common opening scene. Is simple, isn't it? You got to set set up a location, set up a character, set up a villain. Like get people invested in this terrifying villain. They do absolutely none of that, and expect you to care about him an hour and ten minutes into the movie because Leonard Nimoy's on a fucking Zoom call saying. <laughs> He's, he's right scary, he is. He's, he's a wrong in him. Keep keep an eye on him. How would you feel about a Batman Rises kind of ending? Like the reveal of Robin. Like it's John Harrison putting his details in like Starfleet computer and like any other names? And be like, oh, well, my friends used to call me Khan. And then it ends. <laughs> See, that's how you set up the third one. If that is the ending of Into Darkness into the third one, because I actually really, really like that ending... Oh, wow. Of Dark Knight Rises, if Robin, if Robin wasn't such a shit character who kills a bunch of people with guns and then goes, oh no, I don't like guns. And like, well, then why did you shoot a bunch of people with guns? You're a cop. Like, what is going on? Dick Grayson is my all time favorite comic book character. Nightwing is my all time favorite comic book character. I like the story of him growing from little gymnast in his pants hanging out with Batman and like, dweeby little sidekick to being his own character and now being like 
one of the leading characters in the DC universe and getting his own show with Titans and becoming this like sex symbol and all this kind of stuff. Like Dick Grayson's growth as a character is so fascinating to me and what separates him from Bruce Wayne and all this kind of stuff. They do none of that shit in Dark Knight Rises. I'm like, okay, cool. Yep. He's just a kid from an orphanage and then like, well, what's your real name? Oh, I guess you can call me Robin for, for no reason. Okay, cool. And it's exactly the same as Khan because she doesn't know what Robin means. Yeah. And he says like, well, I don't like my name and Robin. Like, She's well supposed to go, oh, like, like the Batman sidekick. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Maybe you win the next Batman. <laughs> And they're all supposed to go, oh, Khan, oh, he's a big, scary, bad guy. He's the villain. Oh, my God. We're all terrified. But nobody has any context for this because they don't sound the characters I think, properly. I think it was a Marvel like, film. That's how they would do it. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anger all the DC yeah. fans by going, well, if we did it with Marvel. <laughs> I don't mean to be that guy. I like both of them. There's room for everyone. They're all winners mm. to me. But Marvel's better. Um <laughs> This, this is why we're friends. Yeah. This is this is the bonding <laughs> experience right here. Yeah, yeah. Rich, you go. You your terrible Planet I'm of the out. Apes. It's fine. It's no, no you're done. Nice. It's the Jack and Dave show now. I'm sorry. So, what is the sequel that surprised you the most? Surprised me the most. Ooh. Yeah. Either you thought it was going to be really bad, and it was actually quite good. You know, going in, you think, oh, the first one's kind of rubbish, but this one was, oh. Mm. I'm trying to think what it's like. Second one is noticeably better than the first one. I think that's because my background's in a lot of video games and stuff rather than films. That happens a lot in video games because they kind of set up the initial kind of like, well, we're still like working out the kinks and trying to work out how this all works. And by the second film, we've we've ironed out a few of those kinks and now it actually works properly and it plays properly and we've had time to write a story and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent of that. Obviously in sequels in in cinema and stuff i think of plenty of ones that are that are worse and like surprisingly <laughs> bad my, my other one from... that the first one was bad and that or the, like the, the second one's even better than the first one but mm. just that you maybe you'd heard that it was really bad and so you kind of put off watching it and then you watched it and were like oh actually so for for us like david like psycho 2 is a really good example yeah. Because literally, as soon as as soon as uh, as Jordan, who uh, Jordan King, who came on our, our show, who was like my favourite sequel is Psycho Two. Both Dave and I were like, "What is he <laughs> mad? That sounds awful." And then we watched it. And we were like, "This is really good. Really enjoyed it. This is actually very surprisingly good." Because <laughs> it did something different. It was a bit more fresh. Also, my example is, and this is a bit of a batshit crazy one. Blade Runner 2049 because I'm not a massive fan of Blade Runner. I, I heard you talk about this on the podcast, yeah. Oh, God. Um, I think one that surprised me the most, that the fact that it existed and just, like, confused me at the time was kind of my other option for the most disappointing one, which is Matrix Reloaded, because... That's a really good example. The, the first Matrix is just just seminal, important cinema, like, undeniably influential and important cinema, and then Reload is just a bunch of nonsense and underground sex raves and jargon cave. rubbish and and a bunch and a bunch of CGI bollocks fighting that looks terrible and looked terrible then and looks worse now. And between Reloaded and uh, Revolutions, Revelations, whatever the hell it's called, coming up to Resurrections, it's like I I 
I, you've burnt this bridge, Wachowskis, I'm sorry. You haven't made a good film since The Matrix, I would argue. So it's like, you've made one good film in your entire career? I don't like Speed Racer. I think Jupiter Ascending is terrible. Like, they've made a lot of bad films between them over the years. I thought Sense8 was okay oh, at best. He loves it. <laughs> I love I, it. Of course, yeah, it. you like Planet of the Apes by Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> you, I don't trust you anymore, Rich. After that... That opinion. I've never met anyone who likes that movie. Never. Nah. Sense8, I'll be like, oh, cool, yeah, sure. If you like Sense8, no problem. I said, it's like a six, seven out of ten for me. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's good. Yeah, whatever. Well, the way Rich talks about it, it's, it's masterpiece. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love Sense8. Yeah. I mean, it's it's mm. great. Never seen it, so mm. I can't join in this Double with Dave, you'll be fine. Watch it, Dave, and then tell us what you think later. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, Matrix Loaded. It was just nothing. First of all, like, they're making a sequel to The Matrix. Why are you making a sequel to The Matrix? Just leave it. It's fine. Even back then, like, you know, I was, I wasn't, I don't think I, I definitely didn't see it in the cinema. I was too young. I must have been in my early teens when I saw the first Matrix and it, you know, had that mind blowing moment of all the slow-mo and all the action and all the cool lore stuff and the, the agents and the suits and all that kind of stuff and building this outer world and inner like intellectual sci-fi kind of stuff is like my absolute favorite genre where you come out wondering like what's real and what's not and and all that kind of stuff blade runner and blade runner 2049 perfect examples that you come out thinking like so was was, were they yeah good character were they androids or robots or can they have a soul does that matter what what is what is a soul what is humanity all this kind of stuff and the matrix does a brilliant job of that because you get like sentient programs and stuff arguably like trying to work out who's who and who's on what side and then they're like yeah cool we have uh invisible vampire people who are also programs what (laughs) yeah Yeah, they've got white dread they're like albino invisible spirit walkers and then there's a group of monica bellucci's like a like a hacker vampire for some reason i don't know what's going on neither am i and the whole architect thing and just the ipto facto come see come saw blah 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 half of it's in latin and doesn't make any sense it does make sense if you actually sit down and like break it down sentence by sentence what he's saying makes well ergo and therefore this thing and this thing and this thing and it's like i know you're talking about like an infinite loop of neos and all this kind of stuff and that does end up making sense but reloaded just went off the rails and then the third one went further off the rails and just becomes a big lazy christ analogy and you're like okay cool whatever and then fingers crossed for the fourth one because it could be really interesting like so judging from what i've seen of that trailer like they could be turned it's proof that neo is not the only one and he's back in the loop of the the one loop that is the the world of the matrix and that whole thing and he's gonna be one that's gonna try and break the cycle which he tried to do before but clearly it didn't work or did it is this the original matrix we know is this a new matrix is that the same trinity who's been mind wiped we don't know it's all these questions it could go either way but i have no i don't know no hope for it basically I'm, i'm going in with a lack of optimism because of Reloaded. Reloaded killed all of my optimism for anything Matrix related. I love the Animatrix. Some of the games are great, but Reloaded and Revelations Revolutions, I always get them around the wrong way. Just just terrible. I want to say Revolution. Revelations makes more sense because it's all Bible-y and stuff. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are confused with. Yeah, those, those two are not good. And I remember going into... Is revolutions, yeah, it is revolutions, not revelations. 
<laughs> and resurrections sense, is the fourth one. Yeah, resurrections. Yeah. Yeah. Well, revolutions is <laughs> revolutions is the the looping of the timeline of the cycle and stuff, right? It's all oh right. And resurrections okay. is the multiple neos being resurrected across the different timelines and stuff. I assume. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. I'm lost went, already. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if the new exactly. one's good, it's going to be a surprise, isn't it? That's what we're saying. That's it. We'll yeah. go in and if, if you ask me, if you ask me this question and. By the end of the year, by Christmas, I might be like, I mean, the fourth Matrix was really surprisingly good. Who yeah. knew? What is your dream sequel? I'm going back another year. So I've gone 2014, 2013, 2012. I promise I didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this is my early 20s. So this is like the decade that I switched on as like a real hardcore film fan and all this kind of stuff. It was your awakening. 2012. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been. I, I was unplugged from the Matrix and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about 2012's Dread because... I think it's one of the best films of the last decade. I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there right now. I think it is a masterpiece, and I am heartbroken that we will never, ever, ever get a sequel, despite how many Blu-rays and DVDs the fans have bought over the years trying to resurrect it like people did with Family Guy and Futurama while it was on TV and getting cancelled and then resurrected again, speaking of resurrections. Mm. But we're never going to get another Dread. It made no money. It was incredibly troubled production. And the producer, Adi Shankar, said he's done multiple interviews saying, like, this is never going to happen. There's no way you would need to fund it yourself and somehow get Carl Urban and <laughs> Olivia Thelby and Wood Harris and Lena Headey. And people, obviously, some of those characters die, spoiler, but get those people of those caliber to come and be your independent production somehow. It's never going to happen in a million years. And that breaks my heart because I love Dread so much. I grew up with 2000 AD and reading Judge Dread comics. For this and out there, wearing a Judge dread t-shirt right now <laughs> as a bit of a tribute and it's like this was the film i've been waiting for after the 1995 just mediocre pile of just comedic <laughs> half-assed bollocks that is the stallone and schneider movie yeah, okay <laughs> please don't tell me you like the 1995 one i've got a soft spot for it because it's so bad uh, it's good kind of thing oh uh, see want... this is where you can go off no i think it's terrible again because <laughs> I, I don't oh, like it you both. no no i think it's terrible but somehow i can start a rivalry with the whole show i quite enjoy it for being bad but i agree it is a puddle of shit the costumes are kind of amazing right like it's yeah. so comic but accurate with the giant eagles on the shoulders and all this kind of stuff that would never fly in the like down to earth mm. gritty I hate to use the phrase dark and gritty, but that's kind of what Dread is. And that's kind of become this uh, like uncomfortable phrase to be using in cinema these days. But like that, to take Dread and really dial it down from all the wacky stuff that 2000 AD does. Yeah. Because 2000 AD, for listeners out there who don't know, is a comic book series that's been running for like 50 years at this point or something like that since the 70s. And it is just mutants and aliens and satire and parody it's like monty python meets star wars meets all kinds of weird stuff mashed into one. and sometimes it's like really dark and gory and sometimes it's really silly and funny and has nigel farage and donald trump in it and stuff but they're called bilious barrage instead because <laughs> copyright and libel and stuff and it's like how do we how do you turn that into a film it's like day in the life of a judge just make it super small scale. It, the entire film is set in one building. There you yeah. go. I'm, I have to be honest. Jove, when, you've Dave, got... when Dave said this was your your dream sequel, I did I did think he meant the ninety four <laughs> version. <laughs> I was like, 
Re- really? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm bringing back Stallone for, what, 26 years later. Yeah, brilliant. He would still do it as well, I think. Yeah, oh, He'd love another crack at it. He, he probably needs the money, doesn't he, old, old Sly? And I also thought I'd seen this movie. I thought I'd seen Dread, but I hadn't. Oh, wow. So <gasps> I, I oh, got Rich. to watch it for the right. first time. Right, right, right. Hold on, hold on. Stop the presses. Stop the I'll podcast. Back for Rich, a what did you think? Yeah. <laughs> what did you think, Rich? Tell me. Tell me more. I, I liked it. I liked okay. it. I don't think I liked it as much as you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> brilliant. I don't think many. I don't think many people like it as much as I do. To be no, fair. I think Dave does. I think Dave loves I it. I loved it. I can't believe that. Never. There's never been a sequel. It's just. It's mad. What I really like about it is, uh, I, I really like the fact that they got to use slow mo with an actual point to having slow mo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Clever, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's good. I kind of. I don't know. I, f- I felt like there was. It, it deserves a sequel. You're right. I think there's there's more to the universe. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely oh, more there's, to be said. There's so I much more like to the universe. The first, yeah. yeah it's, it felt like the first part of a trilogy or the first part of a series. You know, it felt like the setup. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely liked it. There were bits just like, yeah, nah, it's just action, blurry up stuff, you know, that kind of. It's so much fun. Running out of action. Is it Carl Urban? It's not Keith Urban, is it? It's Carl Urban. No, it's Carl Urban. (laughs) I I had that conversation with my (laughs) wife yesterday too, where she was like, I get confused between Keith Urban and Carl Urban. Who is who? Oh my, we don't need Sylvester Stallone. We need Keith Urban's Dread. That's what we need. (laughs) He's so good as Dread. His, which is, he's really good. Gotta oh go for him, then, rookie. Apparently, apparently, that voice really tore up his vocal cords as well because he's Kiwi yeah, originally, yeah. I think. Like that is nowhere near his natural speaking voice. And obviously, we talked about Bones just now in Into Darkness. He's Bones, and he, he's kind of doing this gruff American voice because he's doing an impression of Bones, basically. So it's like, yep, you're doing the the McCoy impression from back in the day. Like, okay, how the hell are you going to do Dread? I'm going to talk like this the whole time. <laughs> I am the law. Mama is not the law. Like Apparently he would just be like coming out of character as soon as the shot ends. He's like, oh, thank God for that. I'm back to being Carl Urban again. You're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like taking the helmet off and be like, fucking hell, I'm so sweaty. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, Sylvester Stallone takes the helmet off in 10 minutes, I want to say. Yeah. It's like the first 10 minutes. And then he's like, whip off. Um, and apparently... Apparently, again, blah, 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 disclaimers, disclaimers, allegedly, et cetera, et cetera, to cover ourselves legally. Apparently, that was Sylvester Stallone's idea because he was too big of a star to hide his face. Probably true. That was his ego being like, well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm Rocky, man. I'm Rambo. Like, you're going you're gonna to cover this face? Like, This is what they're paying to maybe? see. And that's why Stallone could never be the Mandalorian. There you go. There you go. Exactly. And the Mandalorian's a perfect example of a, a, a similar kind of lone wolf kind of isolated character with his helmet and really really into his rules and his regulations and his ideals and ideologies and bordering on religious kind of stuff because dread the character in the comics is a fascist like there's no there's no are we the baddies thing about this he's a totalitarian murdering all-powerful police officer in you know the not so distant future and it's like he's very clearly a terrible person in the comics but he's fighting 
even worse people in a lot of ways and you know you can take that whichever way you want depending on how you lie politically and stuff and saying like you know police need more control police need less control all this kind of stuff originally because it's a british comic based on like american satire it's all the brits going god you yanks are bloody mental you've all got all your guns and all your cops have guns and you're all you know cops are on the streets with the guns and stuff and all that crazy stuff it's like all commentary on that coming through to like you know reagan and thatcher in the 80s and all this kind of political stuff they pretty much strip that all back and i think that's for the better i think it's very difficult to make sci-fi that isn't political because the the state of the world if you're going especially if you're doing like dystopian future sci-fi kind of stuff the state that your world is in is a political statement whether you like it or not like the fact that this is a world that is controlled by judges and or there's like an 86 percent unemployment rate and it's illegal to be homeless and all this kind of stuff they're political and social issues that are being like homelessness is a huge problem in the uk and the us and around the world and stuff like that and this film mentions it and is like you better move or you get crushed and he just gets crushed and it's like okay that's yep, that he's just like another number another statistic homeless people aren't people in mega city one in america in the cursed earth like all this kind of stuff it's like it's such a dark horrible timeline that i can kind of see us slipping into with the political leanings that we're heading with mm. with the, the way our country's going and thankfully america seems to be swing back the other way a little bit with biden instead of trump getting in and all this kind of stuff but i'm getting off topic i'm getting off topic i'm going off on political rants i know i'm sorry is there a scenes <laughs> that you really enjoy that makes dread special and do you have plans for your future dread sequel i absolutely do yeah i don't think of a particular scene i think the the minigun scene oh yeah yeah where he is, he is just running down that hallway, and it's just tearing through, and the chopping whole bodies in half. It's just chopping bodies in half and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, it came around almost exactly the same time as the raid, and kind of got compared to the raid. And I adore the raid as well. For the record, I'm a huge martial arts mm. film fan as well. But I think a lot of people kind of slept on Dread. It's like, no, it's so different. This is the action. This is what it could be. Even the moment with like okay hard shot and the gun goes blip yeah like what does that do incendiary fire and it melts the guy's face off literally they're like oh my god they're not messing around here and yeah that moment where the the shot the like aerial shot of all the way down through the the mega skyscraper that is peach trees and you just see this and uh, them wheeling out this like tank of a gun that's on this like train cart thing like what does that do and they hear the of it like winding up first and then the building gets cut in half and then like running down again slow motion big explosions and stuff it's classic action stuff but that extra added weight and the shot choices and stuff it's so well directed and apparently directed by alex garland not by pete travis yeah. quite controversially because pete travis apparently had a lot of creative differences with garland and a lot of the other team members and garland was originally the writer and producer He's the director of things like Annihilation, for those out there who might recognize them. Like, oh, yeah, Alex Garland, yeah. He's one of my favorite creators, writers, directors, all that kind of stuff. He did a, bu a bunch of other fantastic sci-fi stuff. Go and, go and check out Alex Garland stuff. From writing 28 Days Later to directing and writing Ex Machina, Annihilation, and then being involved in Dread. 
apparently he basically was the creative hand guiding this whole thing and, and pointing it in the right direction. The visual effects are fantastic. Like you said, the casting is fantastic. Yes, Judge and the the, mo- the moment, I think mean, one of the, definitely one of the standout scenes for me is when Anderson gets to shine because she has her own series. Like Judge Anderson is its whole other thing in 2000 AD that's been running for 30 years by and in and of itself. She's not just dread sidekick in the comics if that makes sense and when she kind of like finally takes control when he's like i'm getting in your head and i'm gonna i'm gonna mess with you and all this kind of stuff she's like oh yeah cool i can mess with you too i'm a psychic (laughs) and basically yeah destroys this guy's mind by (laughs) mentally ripping his dick off like wow okay (laughs) that's the thing that is terrifying but amazing and she comes out as you know this such a a kind of seemingly meek character compared to dread who is just this force of nature and law who never smiles just has that constant grimace on his face that just just a chin of a man and nothing else and she's like she's supposed to be the humanity like she's the surrogate audience member for this whole thing seeing fresh out the academy oh she's gonna is she gonna pass or fail and become a judge in this whole thing and that moment where she steps up and is like I've got powers. Like I'm not wearing a helmet for a reason because I can do some really cool, powerful stuff. And she fights back against Kay and really like messes him up. It's brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I think Olivia Thelby is fantastic as well. Yeah, I do. What I really like about the, some of the best thing, I think Lena Headley is brilliant. Oh, and I Marmar's think her amazing. character yeah. of Marmar is so vicious. And I think you're, you sort of said it earlier is that Dread is awful and he only gets away with being awful because the people that he is fighting are even worse. She is worse, yeah, exactly. And my God, she is worse. So there's a for people that haven't seen this. It's a it's old enough movie now that we're gonna you know we're allowed to do spoilers. It's within our rules unless it's lost. It's it's not it's not ten years old by the way. It's, the is it not ten years old yet? 20, oh, 2012. Man. Okay, well, it's, it's nine years old. You're pushing your luck, mate. It's old enough. It's nine years old. We're okay. <laughs> there's a drug called slow mo that you get it in like an asthma inhaler by the look of it, but essentially it makes everything go a lot you know like slow-mo like everything's slow and what she does is to these these guys who've been dealing on her patch is she gives them slow-mo skins them alive and throws yeah. them off of a building and this building is what nine like 190 stories or something ridiculous is that two, yeah near enough 200 stories a yeah, mega yeah. skyscraper so they must have felt like they were falling after being flayed yeah. for hours mm-hmm. and yep. that is Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you you work out how violent it's gonna be yeah. literally maybe in the first ten minutes when that guy gets hit by the car and you think that's what kind of film I'm in now. This is where this is how gruesome it's gonna be because <laughs> he hits him the body just the body explodes yeah. and blood goes everywhere. Uh, and you think, Okay, yeah, cool, I'm into this. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a lot of people had the problem with, like, you mentioned the moment where they fall and it takes a long time in their mind because of the slow-mo and stuff. A lot of people were like, well, why did Dredd do that to Marmar at the end when he pushed her off and stuff? Like, that seems weirdly cruel for a guy who was just, like, by the law, shoot and kill people. And I always interpreted it as, like, well, they had a, she has a kill switch. She has a, if my heart stops beating, then the whole place explodes kind of thing. So if he's able to slow her heart rate down so the switch, the kill switch never notices, then she will fall far enough out of the range of the yeah. thing by the time she dies. And then it's problem solved. And I was like, oh, that's pretty obvious. But I've seen quite a few people be like, oh, I don't like that interpretation of Dredd as the character. And I'm like, Dredd's a bad dude. I mean, sure, whatever. Like, it, it, it 
Dredd's a terrible, horrible person. Joseph Dredd is a monster. And yeah, he's kind of dialed down a little bit in this in this film, but he's still, you know, take no prisoners, all that kind of stuff. He just chuck dudes off, just shoots dudes in the face. Oh, there's a bunch of drug dealers. That slow motion yeah, yeah. where it's going through the guy's cheek and out the other side, and it's all in 3D slow motion, and it's all this real gross body horror type stuff, and all the digital blood. I don't like digital blood, but it's still well done, like all this digital blood like flying towards the camera because they really did shoot it in 3D because Avatar came out a couple of years ago, and that was the done thing. That was the style at the time, as Abraham, Link- uh, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Simpson says. <laughs> so what, what, would you, what, what would you do for Freud the sequel? How familiar are you guys with 2000 AD Judge Dredd? I've played a computer game. Okay. I read a okay. few comics when I was younger. But... Judge Dead or something in it, like a ghosty Judge thing. Judge Death. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, The Dark Judges, yeah. Um, not that, oh. I think, because that was, that was apparently Alex Garland's original plan, was to do Judge Dredd versus Judge Death, because he's such an iconic villain. He, basically, he's a from an alternate dimension, a skull-faced evil version of dread essentially he's an evil judge and there's these there's like half a dozen of them dark judges that are these like trans-dimensional vampires that are trying to destroy all of existence and all this kind of stuff it's very big picture cosmic grant morrison style madness that kind of stuff don't go that far because i think you go okay. from such a small scale like we said it's in one building this film basically you can't go from that to giant space vampires trying to destroy the universe i think that'd be too much of a leap but i do think you need to set up the rest of the universe and establish what is outside of peach trees my suggestion is an adaptation of the cursed earth storyline which is one of the early it's like basically one of the big first serialized judge dread stories because usually it was just criminal of the week story of the week kind of stuff and you you would get half a dozen pages at a time in each issue weekly and then he you know he's going on adventures you're learning about the world as you go all this kind of stuff and then they did cursed earth which is where there is a outbreak of a virus funnily enough speaking in 2021 that's a bit maybe a bit too topical for our liking in uh mega city 2 which is the one on the west coast whereas in mega city 1 we're on the east coast this is new york and washington and all that kind of stuff they're going over to las vegas and california and stuff the scientists in mega city 1 develop the vaccine but because as established in the opening of dread america is a weird wasteland like the cursed earth is just radiation and monsters as far as the eye can see basically they send dread because of his fantastic record as a judge a couple of other judges and like a there's like a character who's basically like this biker guy who's like he's the best biker he's been out in the wastelands before he can kind of be your guide kind of like the golem character like he's this weird he's not a good guy but he'll help you out kind of thing because it's that or the iso cubes basically (laughs) so uh dread and a handful of other judges trek across the entirety of america and meet mutants and this is the original comic. This is not how I'm pitching my film. I'm, I'm going to spin off into my film pitch in a second, but because they meet an alien speaking Aardvark character and it gets. 2018 is weird <laughs> and wacky and quirky and not what we think we need from a Dread sequel. But the premise is there. Yeah. It's Dread. You've seen Mega City 1. You've kind of seen the poverty and the terrible things that happen in these mega skyscrapers and all this kind of stuff. Let's introduce the rest of America and see him traveling across from east to west send him out there on one you know on the the lawbringer bike and and him and a couple of other judges send anderson out there as well because she's a mutant so she can kind of relate to some of the other people out there because in the wasteland basically everyone is a mutant and they have an extra limb or an extra eye or 
variations of psychic powers or like weird superpowers that don't make any sense and all this kind of quirky stuff and i think if you ground that and may basically make it like logan where it's this grizzled dude just trying to make it across this desert and survive and you can get him pursued by um the gangs that are mentioned funnily enough the angel gang mentioned in the 1995 film are from texas city it does yeah it does yeah so you have texas city there as well and that is kind of like their refueling stopgap kind of thing and they essentially get chased by mean machine and the angel gang and like i said the guys from the 1995 stuff but i'm imagining them a lot more grounded and scary and creepy rather than wacky and a bit creepy but you still have like cyborgs and big like hulk looking creatures and these like there's a to put it into perspective there's a satanic dinosaur a t-rex called satanus because there's there's a jurassic park in 2000 ad's version of america that goes wrong and gets irradiated so he becomes a sentient satanic t-rex <laughs> I'm not saying you do that because again, I, I think that. that's a, I think that's maybe a step too far. It's incredible and hilarious, but maybe a step a bit too far from the kind of very grounded reality that is the dread version of this story. But I think having dread going across the desert, encountering all these horrible gangs, like there's the the leader of the Angel Gang is they're literally a family, like hillbilly kind of family, the Angel Gang. I'm imagining like Brian Cranston as Par Angel, like this. Uh paternal figure that is like judges in my territory i ain't dealing with that and he sends out all his family and me machines there he's like half cyborg big like yeah, yeah. crazy it's hunting down the judges like and state it, it, a little bit oh michael parks is a again before he passed away michael parks would be a fantastic choice and yeah get him basically doing his red state character but par angel is basically this evangelical terrifying you know cult leader kind of character have them, yeah. This it's kind of Mad Max Fury Road as well. It's like chasing across the desert, this big road movie kind of thing. I like it. I like the sound of it. Yeah, that that would be my plan as a, as a very big kind of open the world up a little bit. And I think maybe then, because it's modern films and you have to do a trilogy, right, guys? That's how it works because everything's a bloody trilogy these days. Then you introduce the Dark Judges for the third one. And then you finish off the trilogy and you, you don't touch it again. Oh, kind of thing. That, that's when you go balls to the wall for the big finale. And then, ta-da, maybe that, that's, that's done kind of thing. And I think now Alex Garland has directing experience. You can bring him on as a full-time director. He wouldn't because apparently, like I said, the production was so troubled and stuff. Another person who was rumored to be doing it originally is Doug Jones, who I also really, really like as a director. The director of Moon and unfortunately the director of Warcraft as well. Yeah. Um, he's also rumored to be doing a Rogue Trooper film that's in production, which is another 2000 AD product that is similar in tone to Judge Dredd and stuff. It's a bit more serious, a bit less wacky, full of aliens and mutants and stuff. It's a bit more kind of takes itself a bit more seriously. But he's rumored to be working on that stuff. And he was one of the original people involved in the pitch for Dredd in like 2005 when they first started you know producers and executives coming up with the plan and stuff so i think there's a few different ways you'd go with the director obviously carl urban returns because of course he does he's fantastic yeah i think i think it almost writes itself i think you could really get away with something pretty simple and straightforward in terms of the road movie but letting it build the world around them and you learn more about the history of earth yeah. and world war three and the, the apocalypse wars that caused all this huge 
nuclear wastelands and all this kind of stuff. Would you accept an animated version of it with Carl Urban doing the voices and that? Yeah, so there is a comic sequel to Dread that is there's it's fine. It's nothing special, unfortunately. <laughs> I love the way you say it's fine, but in the way that means it's not fine. <laughs> well, in the fact, well, I just said, like, this is one of my favourite films, maybe my favourite film of the last decade. It's like one of my favourite films of all time. It doesn't live up to that level of hype or <laughs> expectation. It's decent. It's good. Like, you know, if you enjoy Dread, you'll probably enjoy the comic, but like, it doesn't do anything particularly mind-blowing or interesting. It doesn't go out into the cursed earth. It kind of stays in Mega City 1 and is another kind of oh, yeah, this is kind of deleted scenes from Dread, I guess. You go and see him solve some other crimes. And, oh, look, that's a reference to that thing from the original comic. Oh, they did that and that thing. And, oh, there's Anderson again. Cool. Nothing particularly interesting. I mean, comics but, are cool, but you yeah. want some kind of audio like yeah. anticipation that you like. You, you want to hear that voice again. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, sorry, Carl. We want to hear the voice again. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I have a little game for you two to cross Ooh. over with sequelizers. Love it. We, we have a little game we play that uh, we introduced way back when. It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. Okay. And Rotten Tomatoes is a mess of a review aggregate site. Oh, we know. Make any sense. Jay and Silent Bob reboot. <laughs> we talked about this on the live stream, didn't we, Rich? Yeah, it's a 90-something percent. Those percentages are the percentage of positive reviews, which is a 6 out of 10 or a 60% or more. It is not the aggregated score out of 100 it is the percentage of positive reviews. And usually what we do when we do this on sequelizers, we have the good film, we have the bad sequel, or we have a trilogy or five films or whatever it is. And usually whoever's, you know, done the done the pitch will turn around and go like, so guys, what's the highest rated? What's the lowest rated? How? What do you think it is scored on the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes? On the, as they call it, the patented tomatometer yeah, yeah. that is Rotten Tomatoes. So... To you, gentlemen of Unequal Sequel, what is the highest and what is the lowest rating for these three films from Dread through to Into Darkness through to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Have some guesses for all three and we'll see how you guys do. Okay. But I br bring a bit of Sequelizer's uh, signature style over to your show. So w let's start off with Dread. Chron let's go chronologically from 2012. Dread, what do you think it is percentage wise on the Tomatometer? Any guesses? Okay, I've written numbers down. I cool. think. Okay. I think critic score. Are we doing both scores? Are we? We'll just do critics for now. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll talk about audience stuff, but let's just let's just do critics. Seventy three percent. I've yeah. written down seventy four percent. Rich, really? <laughs> yeah. We're so in sync, Dave. <laughs> amazing, amazing. There's a reason you guys are co-hosts. Um, then we go one year later. Star Trek Into Darkness on the Tomatometer. What do you reckon? I don't think enough people disliked it as they should have done. I put fifty-seven percent. Fifty-seven. I think higher one. than that. I think, I think, eighty percent. Oh, that's a big difference. So, considering mm. you're one percent apart for the last, <laughs> yeah, a big change ruined that. it. <laughs> that's not how much I like it, by the way. But I think that if I remember back, it didn't get a critical panning. You know, we have to make that caveat every time as well. Yeah. I was like, this is not what we think. We promise. It's not our opinion. We're just guessing critics' opinions. Um, and then, lastly, 2014's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Eighty-eight percent. Quite high. 88 from Dave. I think I think this will be the highest because yeah, I think I think 90. 90% from from Rich. Interesting, interesting. Oftentimes on sequelizers we get a clean sweep for some reason. We get one person that gets them all right. That has not happened here. <laughs> Damn it. 
because of that 1% difference in oh. dread. <laughs> so to reveal the numbers, Dave, you are closer with your 74 because dread is 79. Oh. <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. Both you. An audience score of 72 for the record. So again, oh, okay. you're pretty close to the audience yeah. there as well. Yeah. Rich, you were on the right track here with Into Darkness. That is an 84%. No fucking way. With an, with an audience score of 89%. Ooh. On Rotten Tomatoes. I am See, shocked. not enough people hate that film. They really should. I know. <laughs> and not enough people, I think, relate to Wrath of Khan and the whole thing. And I yeah, mean, even yeah. if I didn't knew nothing about Wrath of Khan, it's still a mess. You know, it's still a mess of a film. No, anyway. I think people see pop, pop, whiz, bang, boom, it's Star Trek, who cares? They treat it like Star Wars. Like, yeah, it's big shiny lights and spaceships, yeah, who cares? It is big shiny lights. Okay, yeah, this is the one's going to shock me, isn't it? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Rich, you are spot on with ninety percent. <laughs> so you you were two percent off, uh, Dave. Sorry. Um, and funnily enough, Dave, you nailed the audience score of eighty percent. I am one of the people. So you were both. Yeah. Yeah, you were a man of the people. That is what we've learned. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Rich, yeah, you win uh, two to one there on the. Uh, the patented yes. sequelizers Rotten Tomatoes game. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, you're so upset. Uh, <laughs> Those were Jack Chambers' unequal sequels. Love a good one, eh? Yeah. Oh. Awesome. I love those sequelizers, guys, honestly. I know we say it a lot, but I really do. I think they're they're brilliant, and their knowledge of film is awesome it's incredible they're just so yeah when they talk about film they're so passionate and knowledgeable it, it makes us feel quite dumb doesn't it it does it really does and i genuinely want to make that that dread film that he talks about yeah i still can't understand how we never got a judge dread sequel the new one not the stallone one it makes me sad every day and the pitch the pitch that jack did that idea of like the traveling across the wastelands and yeah stuff, i love that i think I mean, that's so cinematic I mean, it's such a great movie yeah, that would yeah, be. Yeah, so one. if anyone's listening, you know, any producers out there, this is a movie to make. Definitely. <laughs> and we enjoyed uh, Dawn and Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I think even though I upset Jack a lot with my uh, my non hatred of the Timber and Planet of the Apes, <laughs> <laughs> they're rubbish. It is a rubbish film. I know. I know it's rubbish, but I just. I still like it anyway. Yeah, and another person who I don't hates know why. who hates Star Trek Into the Darkness, which now is. You know, a few people are brought up for dislike and disappointing, and it's... yeah, it's not great, is it? No. It's yeah, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a swing and a miss. I don't want to watch that again <laughs> if I can help it for a while. No, no, I don't think we need to. Hopefully, hopefully not. I know it quite well now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. Well, I really enjoyed that, and so and if for anyone listening, if you really enjoyed that episode and. You can go back and listen to the episodes with Tim and with with Matt as well from the sequelizers. I mean, even better, you can go listen to their podcast. I mean, I'm not not pointing people away to for our <laughs> podcast, but their podcast is very good. I listen to it myself. Yeah, so it's very professional. It is, yeah. Very, oh yeah, very professional. All three of them have very good podcasting voices. Yeah, they do. They do. Radio and friendly. Got a really good Patreon as well. Yeah, definitely worth getting yeah. involved. Um, yeah, they're brilliant. Go listen to them uh, and listen to us. Rich, you got anything to say about us? Nice, nice things to say about us. Well, always. Oh, good. We're we're, we're very nice. 
yeah we've got more more brilliant episodes coming up as well um so stick with us give us a little cheeky like give us a little cheeky subscribe because then you won't have to worry about missing any episodes they'll come straight to you if you click that subscribe button also you can get in touch with us on our socials we've got instagram uh, at unequals equal we've got twitter at unequals equal we've even got your cheeky emails uh unequals equal at hotmail.com yeah i got it right yeah yeah so lots of ways to get in touch with us lots of ways to to say what you think about the show yeah, yeah just shower us with compliments really you know that's that's all we're after i really like compliments i've got nothing else to say rich so oh no. Oh, you got nothing else to say, Dave. No, are we all done for today. Just keep on listening to us. We got lots of good stuff coming. Listen to the extra episodes on Fridays; they're always dropping and always fun. And yeah, yeah. keep on listening. We have got some cracking stuff coming up. So that's goodbye from me, and uh, goodbye from him. Bye. See you next week. Have a good one. Bye.